2: You know, it was that weird fucking thing of, yeah, you have all this stuff, but the weird thing, the only sanity clause, that sounds like a much, but hey, that's I don't believe in a sanity clause. (laughs) The idea is going on stage is the one salvation.
3: Early in the morning of August 11th, 2014, Robin Williams hanged himself in his Tiburon, California home. Most of the world reacted with incomprehension, asking the obvious question why one of the world's most popular and affable entertainers had taken his own life in the most gruesome of ways. But Robin's family and close friends knew the answer to that question was layered and complex, rooted in a lifetime of addiction and depression and culminating with a disease that took everything he had. But even with all that, Robin Williams left behind a nearly unparalleled legacy. A comedy legend, a box office sensation, an Academy Award winner, and above all else, one of the most liked and admired people in the history of show business. I'm Jason Beckerman. And I'm Derek Kaufman. And this is Last Days, Robin
0: Williams. To Robin's wife, Susan Schneider, the the night of Sunday, August 10th, 2014, was unremarkable, nothing out of the ordinary. She and Williams spent some time together that night, they had dinner, they talked, and according to Susan, Robin seemed okay. Uh, at around 10.30 p.m., she and Robin went to bed in separate rooms. But this was a recommendation of his doctor because he was having a lot of difficulty sleeping for reasons we'll get to in a minute. So
3: in any event, they had gone to separate rooms to sleep for that night.
0: That's right. And that was in the ordinary course of how, how they did things. She woke up on Monday morning and thought Robin was still asleep and left the house to run errands. Also, a perfectly ordinary sort of morning Robin would sometimes sleep in. His longtime assistant, Rebecca Spencer, arrived at the house uh, as she did every morning. and. Like I said, Robin would occasionally sleep in. This wasn't the most active part of his career. Uh, it wasn't unusual for him to sleep a little bit late, so she didn't think much of it And when he didn't come out of his room. Uh, after time went by, however, she grew a little bit concerned and called Susan, who authorized her to enter the room. It was there at about 11.45 a.m. that Spencer discovered Robin Williams' body. News of Robin's
3: death spread quickly, and that afternoon, Susan issued a statement confirming his death, but not referencing the cause. She said this morning, I lost my husband and my best friend while the world lost one of its most beloved artists and beautiful human beings. I'm utterly heart- heartbroken. But by 4 p.m. on the day he died, a local Oakland television station confirmed the cause of death was hanging. But details about it were scant and the family was quick to ask for the media and the public to respect their
0: privacy. This is when the Marin County coroner stepped in and announced the next morning that they would hold a press conference to disclose the cause of death. Um, The expectation was that they would confirm that Robin had hanged himself and leave it at that. Instead, what the deputy chief coroner, Keith Boyd, did was provide a detailed and graphic press briefing like none that we had ever heard before in history. It was really stunning to the assembled media in the room and Robin's family.
1: At that time, the personal assistant was able to gain access to Mr. Williams' bedroom and entered the bedroom to find Mr. William, clothed in a seated position, unresponsive, with a belt secured around his neck with the other end of the belt wedged between the, closet, the closed closet door and the door frame. His right shoulder area was touching the door with his body perpendicular to the door and slightly suspended. Mr. Williams at that time was cool to the touch with rigor mortis present in his body and liver mortis positioned appropriately for the position he was located in. The inside of Mr. Williams' left wrist had several acute superficial transverse cuts. A pocket knife with a closed blade was located in close proximity to Mr. Williams. The pocket knife was examined and a dry red material was located on the ble- excuse me, blade of the knife which appeared consistent. The dried blood.
3: This is just not how things work. The coroner is obligated to by by the laws of almost every county to prevent present its findings, but typically that is done in a written report after a full forensic examination. But this was an unnecessarily ghastly presentation of gory details that were made just 24 hours after Robin's death, serving really only to exacerbate the real devastation that the family was feeling in the immediate wake of a suicide. And there was immediate blowback from the public, from the media at large, who accused the coroner of basically clout chasing, basically seeking to exploit a celebrity's death just to get a little bit of airtime. The coroner, you know, a- adamantly rejected that uh, characterization, said that they were just reporting, they had legal obligations to report that wasn't quite right. What they did went far beyond their legal obligations, and they never really justified anything about how unseemly, and what an unseemly way they had done things.
0: Yeah, we really should pause here for a moment because Marin County is not podunk. This was not the first celebrity to pass away in Northern California. Obviously, it's it's a large metropolitan area that's near Los Angeles. Extremely affluent county by and large. Very affluent. So, when I say it was stunning, I mean, your jaw just dropped listening to this type of press conference in this kind of detail. You might expect a misstep like this for maybe a smaller area where a celebrity had moved in the first the press end of their conference their life. first, first, first press time conference. anybody ever cared right exactly it, it truly was remarkable now initially the public speculation for the reasons that Robin Williams had killed himself centered on two very well known aspects of his life and the first He was a lifelong addict. He did a ton of cocaine, was very open about this during the 1970s and the early 80s before he finally kicked the habit around 1983. Um, One interesting part of his life was he was very closely associated with those old rowdy SNL guys, including John Belushi, who he was good friends with. And the two actually partied together on the morning that John Belushi died. Williams wasn't wasn't uh, there later the night that night when John Belushi snorted the eight ball that ended up killing him. Uh, but Williams said just experiencing Belushi's death. Quote, sobered the shit out of him, and you can imagine these were two very tightly connected comedic geniuses at the height of their powers, and he watched his friend pass. A lot of the same sort of
3: manic comedy style, right? A million miles an hour, that staccato kind of delivery they both had. Belushi, most famous for the SNL skits. Williams would be for stand-up,
0: but not dissimilar styles. Absolutely. I mean, and both just at the height of their powers. So... He did kick the cocaine habit because he saw what it did to Belushi, but his addiction to alcohol really carried through. And he spent most of the next 30 years of his life sober, but he did have these very well-documented relapses in the mid-2000s and again in May 2014, shortly before his death. Yeah, the second
3: off-mentioned theory is so talking about alcoholism and drug u- drug use, which was sort of attributed as potential reasons for his suicide. The second off-mentioned theory for his suicide was that it was caused by his long battle with depression, something he frequently discussed in his stand-up routines and in various interviews. And more than once, he talked about how his depression was linked to that alcohol abuse and that it did cause him at least once to have some suicidal thoughts. Here's a really sober and introspective Williams riffing on depression and suicide in a 2010 interview with Mark Marin on his WTF podcast.
2: When I was drinking, there was only one time, even for a moment, where I thought, oh, fuck life. I, and right. then I went like... <laughs> then even my conscious brain went, did you honestly just say, fuck life? And like, you know, you, you have a pretty good life as it is right now. Have you noticed the two houses? Yes. Have you noticed the uh, the girlfriend? Yes. Are you, have you noticed that you know things are pretty good, even though you may not be working right now? Yes. Okay, let's uh, put the suicide over here on discussable. Let's leave that over here in the, the discussion area. We'll talk about that do first of all you don't have the balls to do it i'm not going to say it out loud i mean have you thought about buying a gun no what are you going to do like cut your wrist with a water pick maybe so that's erosion what are you thinking about that so can i put this over here in the what the fuck category yes let's put that over here what the fuck because can i ask you what you're doing right now you're sitting naked in a hotel room with a bottle of jack daniels yes is this maybe influencing your decision Possibly,
0: it's just a stunningly transparent uh, sort of look at Robin's psyche at the time. This is close to his 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 death as well what's interesting is you see that paradox of him. He's doing the sort of thing that Robin Williams did where he would have conversations with himself, do this, do this, but about a very dark subject matter it, like it's, suicide, it's, it's, it's a, a real interesting It's a great tension. point you, you
3: bring up. In prepar- preparing for this podcast, I listen to a ton of Robin Williams interviews. He never stays out of character long. Never. Right? This is this is the most sober that I ever heard him for the longest period of time, but even here, he's somewhat in character. He's riffing, right? Yes. It's not just sitting back as if he would talk to family or friends sitting around the dinner table. He's doing a little bit of It's obviously very personal. It's obviously very real and authentic, but it's still a little bit of shtick. It is always that way. He talked in depth about his depression to Larry King once, all in character. You yeah. couldn't get him out of character with digressions, move, movements, staccato, you know, the whole oh, thing. We,
0: we grew up, you, he was sort of ubiquitous in late night television because he was such a great guest. So you would have him on because he could sit on that couch and do a million characters, a million historical references, literary references, that, that just endless stream of consciousness, often very hilarious and funny. This is a sort of subdued version, but you're right. He couldn't break out of that sort of technique that he had honed yeah. uh, to, to the very end of his life. Now, the people who knew Robin best on a personal level, his colleagues, his friends, his family. Uh, They watched him wrestle with these demons in the past and described a very different situation than that public persona of larger than life and sort of happy.
3: And also a different, uh, uh, whereas everybody's saying it must have been the alcohol, it must have
0: been the depression, they're sort of fighting back against that a little bit. That's right. They they, they saw a man who wasn't using drugs and alcohol recently. Um, You know, He hadn't used them, he didn't even have them in his system when he passed away. Um, They didn't describe a man who was outwardly suffering from depression and, and this reminded me, there's a picture of Robin and Susan the day before he passed away, the evening actually before he committed suicide and they're at an art gallery and nothing seems amiss they're remarkable only in how ordinary these pictures seem, he's walking around, he is he is well groomed a lot yes. of times people in a deep depression will grow a very large, large scraggly beard which Robin had at yeah. times, not around and his death. And by depth. the way there were a lot of celebrities who were seeing him around those times,
3: nobody discussed a depressed man instead they talked about how he was deteriorating both physically and mentally, not in depression, but just a difficulty in remembering words and in talking, having a large uh, sort of involved conversation. Mm-hmm. In fact, his longtime makeup artist, uh, Sherry Mintz, she was with him on the uh, set of the final Night of the Museum movie in early 2014. his was the last project on which he worked. She described a Vanity Fair after his death how that one, this once sort of brilliant man, this man of incredible mental acuity, had suddenly lost it. She told of how Williams would frequently sob into her arms after each day's shoot, bemoaning the fact that he, quote, didn't know how to be funny anymore. The movie's director, Sean Levy, really did sum up Robin's on struggles in a 2018 documentary called Robin's Wish. It was clear to me, it was clear to all of us on that set that something was going on with Robin. Robin was struggling to remember lines and to combine the right words with the performance. Robin would call me saying, is it usable? Is any of this usable? I saw his morale crumbling. I saw a guy who wasn't himself and he thought that was unforgivable.
0: Yeah, I mean, at his best, Robin Williams was a guy whose act and his his shtick, not in a pejorative way, was such a high wire act. It was so difficult to pull off. And his widow, Susan, said, after returning from this shoot, it was clear something was different. He suffered from persistent bouts of paranoia and anxiety. He would grow irritable and angry at his inability to control these sort of racing thoughts. She put it simply. She said Robin was losing his mind, and he was aware of it. Uh, He was angry because by now he was so mad at himself for what his body was doing, uh, for what his mind was doing to him. He he was acutely aware of the diminishment in his abilities, and that must have been terrifying. It's an amazing statement.
3: Robin was losing his mind, and he was aware of it. You know, we've all we've both met people who have suffered through dementia, and the saving grace often is that they don't know what they're going through. Yes, He was losing his mind, and he knew it in every step of the way. It was sort of occurring to him, and every night he was reminded of the fact he was suffering. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love The Thrill of the Hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Adidas, Macy's, or Levi's. And you can even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use, and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares that money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck.
0: That's Rakuten, R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Yeah, I mean, it must have been so apparent and terrifying because he was just a guy who was so lauded for these abilities and to see them diminish in real time and him not be able to deliver the laughs that he was always so uh, sort of capable of doing in every setting must have been absolutely terrifying. Um, His famous friends, including, look, Billy Crystal, Pam Dauber, Cindy McHale, big, big names in comedy. They all spent time with Robin during his final months, and they talked about the physical and mental deterioration of their friend. If you look at Robin in those last days, he also became increasingly frail. Yeah. So uh,
3: they spent literally months, even years, trying to figure out what was going on with Robin, Susan and Robin did, because they, they saw his gradual decline. A glimmer of hope really arrived in May of 2014 when he was given a formal diagnosis of Parkinson's disease. Now, to most people, Parkinson's is unimaginably awful, but Susan described it as a godsend because instead of endlessly searching for what was wrong with him, they can now focus on mitigating those symptoms. Um, But she told People magazine that while her heart swelled with hope, Robin was not convinced by the diagnosis because it didn't explain the ability to control his own thoughts and he didn't have the tremors and other symptoms that that are most typically aligned with Parkinson's. So he didn't really believe that it was true. And sure enough, although Robin eventually submitted to all the prescribed treatments for Parkinson's, they really didn't do anything to stop his rapid deterioration. As Susan put it, he was just disintegrating before her eyes. And then on July 24th, 2014, just three weeks before he died, an incident occurred which forced Susan to acknowledge that her husband's descent into darkness really was complete, and he would not be coming back to her. Here's Susan describing what happened on Good Morning America.
2: I was in the shower And um, all of a sudden, I saw him lingering at his sink for a while, and something didn't seem right. And um, I opened up the door, and there was was blood. This towel was so soaked with blood, and he was just damming his head. I just screamed, Robin, what happened, what did you do? My my best friend was sinking, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, what she's describing is an incredibly dark descent that he had. After that incident, she said Robin turned further inward. He, He couldn't have meaningful conversations. He couldn't concentrate on the simplest of tasks. He refused to leave the house. He sort of became a bit of a hermit, and he wasn't interacting with friends or family, all of which led to the ultimate and final act. Turns out Robin was right. Um, he didn't have Parkinson's disease. Instead, what the autopsy revealed was that he had been long suffering from something called Lewy body dementia. This is something I had never heard of before I read the autopsy report of Robin Williams and what it is, is it's a debilitating, incurable brain disease that alters the chemical structural makeup of your brain. It's these plaques that are inside your brain. Sort of, you've heard of these with CTE in, in the football arena. This Alzheimer's is a, famous for Alzheimer's. the plaques, right? Where the physical chemistry of your brain changes for the worse. Um, and it leads to psychiatric symptoms. And Robin, who already had a propensity for depression, this seems to have been exacerbated by this actual physical condition of Lewy body dementia. As Susan put it, the depression was just one of the many symptoms of the, d- the disease, but it wasn't a cause of death. Here she's again speaking to GMA.
2: Most people think your husband killed himself because he was depressed. No, Lewy body dementia killed Robin. It's what took his life. And that's what I've spent the last year trying to get to the bottom of, what took my husband's life.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because he was so withdrawn at the end, you know, this came out of the blue. When we heard Robin Williams had committed suicide, no one expected that. Yes, he had sort of the cocaine days. Yes, he had some some media like sort of presentations of his depression and would talk about that. But it didn't seem like he was on the cusp of this yeah. sort of demise. It's the
3: juxtaposition between that and the onstage persona that really caught us all off guard. Yeah. One result of William's early death that no one saw coming was the development of a really nasty dispute between Susan, who we've heard about, and his three children. They were all from uh, previous marriages that he had had. He had three kids, Zach, Zelda, and Cody. By the time that he had died, they were all all adults. I believe that Zach, the oldest one, was in his early 30s. The other two were in their 20s. Zach was from a first marriage, Zelda and Cody a second, hence the age gap between them.
0: Yeah, I mean, after Robin's death, uh, Zach said he disagreed with Susan's handling of his father's health sort of suggesting that she purposefully kept him isolated from family and friends and sort of intimating that what made him happiest was being around family and friends. So why would she allow him to withdraw? It sort of got very, very nasty. I found it sort of difficult and, and, and distasteful in some sense to hear all of this aired publicly but his children really did mourn the loss and Susan had only been married to Robin for about three years. They'd at the been time together for
3: seven. They had uh, been married for three. Their father had gotten sicker and sicker and there's no right way to handle a somebody who's going into dementia and somebody who's this depressed. You just do the best you can but obviously there can be differences of opinion of the yep. best way to handle it and there were here. It all came to a head in early 2015 when all-out war erupted between them. Susan filed a lawsuit uh, uh, alleging that Williams' children, the three we talked about, uh, were purposefully misinterpreting interpreting the terms of Robin's trust to screw her out of the rights to a portion of Williams' million estate. A particular note, though, all sides agreed that Susan was permitted pursuant to his wishes to stay in the family home. The the kids claimed that pursuant to the trust, they were allowed to get all the personal effects inside the home, clothing, furnishings, memorabilia, some of which had quite a bit of value, and that Susan was stopping them from getting what was theirs. The kids claimed in legal docs, quote, the Williams children are heartbroken that petitioner, that's uh, Susan... Uh, Miss Williams, wife of less than three years, has acted against his wishes by challenging the plans he so carefully made for the estate.
0: Yeah. Now, Susan, for her part, countered with the usual sort of defense in these situations that, no, these are the greedy kids from an earlier marriage, she said, uh, because Robin wanted her to continue to live at the house. She she said the trust clearly wants me to live there and they don't want it emptied out of all his personal right. effects. It's our home. It's the home we shared together. And they are deliberately reading it to say you get just this edifice, but empty. Right, you get the walls, but we get all the stuff. And she's like, well, the walls are only meaningful because of the stuff. So exactly. you ha- you should read it that way. So there therein lies the legal dispute. This lasted for months. I mean, before they eventually settled in October of 2015. Uh, the bad blood, though. But appears to have remained. There are reports that Susan and the kids are absolutely uh, on the outs. They don't speak to each other. This makes some sense. I mean, it, it was a it was a late in life uh, new spouse it's, for Robin Williams. It's not Williams. the first time. It's not the first this time. kind of thing.
3: Uh, is, we've all heard about this kind of relationship between the later spouse and the kids from a previous marriage. Don't quite get along. They can be a little fraud. <laughs> right? Anyway, Robin Williams, as we talked about earlier, has one of the great legacies in the history of show business. He, was, he always said that he was a comic first and an actor second, and he talked many times about how he could only find true happiness when he was on the stage. That rat-a-tat sort of staccato delivery and the, of the stuff of legend, largely improvised, he managed to maintain an effortless rapport with audiences despite a manic style most comedians simply can't pull off.
2: Man. A little sip of Perrier here. I had to stop drinking alcohol because I used to wake up nude and hood in my car with my keys in my ass. Not <laughs> oh, a good thing. Hi, right, can I help you? No, thanks. It's just flooded. I'll be okay. <laughs>
0: how do you reduce robin williams to one thing i mean when we're doing this episode we've done we've talked about james gandolfini who you can sort of reduce to tony soprano and yeah. and, and sort of essentialize that person you can't do it with robin he was he had such a long career a- as an actor he was famous for well over 30 years um but there's a particular 10 p- 10 year period in robin's uh, acting career. That is just unassailable. We We, we often talk
3: about the greatest runs of actors or actresses in the history of Hollywood, like a 10-year run where they were just on top of the world. You know, Pacino is often regarded. Brando, a couple of those guys. Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. Right, exactly. This guy, as an actor, for a time, I think that 10-year period, arguably the biggest star in the world.
0: Let me give you the rundown of 1987 to 1997. This is the height of Robin Williams' powers. He drops Good Morning Vietnam, gets a Best Actor nomination. All of a sudden, the antic guy from Mork and Mindy is in a serious role about Vietnam, and he kills it, gets a Best Actor nomination, out of the gate— Follows it up with Dead Poets Society. Gets another nomination for an Oscar. 1991, he does Awakenings. Uh, He also does Fisher King and gets nominated again in 1991. That's three Best Actor nominations in four years. Didn't win
3: any of them, but that's three in four years. Didn't
0: win them, but they were very serious uh, roles and not just his sort of comedic persona. Then he goes back to the well in 1992 and he changes Disney because he... Performs the role of the genie in Aladdin. Now we were talking about this. It's really the first time we can remember where a megawatt star is of doing voice work for yeah. an animated film. You think about the Little Mermaid. You think about Beauty and the Beast. There's these no movies huge...
3: that came out just before Aladdin. No, there, Angela Lansbury might be the biggest star that we can come up with of yeah. any of these movies. Now you all of a sudden had Robin Williams, who we just talked about, was three-time Academy Award nominee. Right in the at the beginning of this, on the heels of that, he does an animated movie where he's the voice and slays it well, it's the greatest, right? Is there argument that he's the best voice
0: in the history of Disney animation? I I would say unless you're considering the Pixar films and you throw in Tom Hanks a little bit later with uh, with the iconic Woody roles, but he paved the way. And what's fascinating about when you watch Aladdin, if you read about it, the animators followed him. So he was so good at that stream of consciousness that when there's those scenes where the genie is changing form and doing all these riffs, the animators just, just let him run and then animated around it. That's who he was and he could really just sort of, you think of a big studio like Disney c- controlling everything, they really let Robin Williams just run So run then off. he follows it up with Mrs. Doubtfire, maybe
3: the w- role he's n- most known for now Sure, the or thing, the genie. My kids would only know him from that, I mean, they maybe some later life stuff, but I think Mrs. Doubtfire, Jumanji and Birdcage finishing off with maybe his biggest
0: role ever. Yeah, Goodwill Hunting. I mean, when I went to college, that was the movie to see and he wins best supporting actor for his role as a therapist for Matt Damon and he steals the movie as much as that's a Matt Damon and Ben Affleck film. Every line that gets quoted is 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 usually a Robin Williams. You know, it's not your, it's not your fault. That is yeah. the scene of the movie, and he absolutely killed it. One
3: of the things he was lauded for coming out of that, and we've talked about this, is how he toggled between serious drama and and comedy. He always brought a little levity to it, right? Goodwill Hunting, Get sure. Poets, decided, a little bit of levity, and then he had the really comedic roles of Doubtfire and the others. But there's really no common thread running through the roles, comedic or more sensitive, except for really the unstoppable motor that yep. completely up you know, that... uh, Never off. Never never off. off. He was just
0: constantly running and it was hilarious and you couldn't catch up with his references.
3: Yeah. So, Rolling Stone had a great quote. We can end with this. The whole of his work begins to resemble different manifestations of the same restless spirit. Whether trying for a laugh or a poignant moment, balanced by the times when the rapid-fire wit fit perfectly into a role, when he found just the right way to fold a tragic grace note into an otherwise twinkly scene, when he made the darkness work for him. Maybe he needed to go to the extremes to find the middle. Neither of these posthumous portraits settles William's complicated legacy, but both serve as a reminder of the man's vitality and why we're still trying to figure out what we lost years later. That'll do it for us. Thanks very much, everybody.